Well, folks, we've been privileged in the past to have Andrew Longmire come and speak to us, and we have the opportunity again. Um, Andrew has just finished his Master's of Divinity course uh, this spring and has graduated from McMaster University. He's about to uh, embark on another learning experience in that he's getting married this fall. So he's got lots ahead of him. So, Andrew, thank you. Come on up and we'll pray with you to start. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear Andrew again. We pray your blessing on his words. May his words and thoughts and his heart reflect your heart. Mm -hmm. May we be blessed by his presence here today, blessed in the sense that Philip taught us last weekend. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We pray your blessing on his new endeavor. May he be a great soldier for Christ. And we pray your blessing on his coming marriage relationship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's always a good sign when you get invited back to speak somewhere. It means that you either didn't offend too many people or you didn't offend the right people. So I'm guessing if I offended anyone, they're probably not here today, but I'm glad that all of you are. Yeah, I recently, since I've been here last, I finished my schooling. I was a student for seven years, so it's nice to finally say that I'm not a student. I just got my Master's of Divinity, so you can call me Master if you want, but technically you don't have to, so I'll leave it up to you. I am getting married uh, this fall. My fiance Natasha is sitting there. We got engaged in March, and we're getting married in September, September 24th, because we were looking at the weekend after, but that's Timberton Fall Fair weekend, and their weather is always the worst. <laughs> but Ripley Fall Fair always gets good weather, so we said, let's go with that one. <laughs> when Brian contacted me to speak today, he said, we're working on a series, um, me and Phil would go back and forth, a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, really looking at this idea that a lot of time in Jesus' in God's word, when Jesus is teaching or he's telling parables or stories, he uses phrases like, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and then tells a story. Or he says, in the Beatitudes, which I'm guessing Phil preached on last week, that blessed are the meek, and for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? And, and a lot of times, Jesus talks about this kingdom of heaven, and a lot of times, it's really countercultural, and it's really opposite for us, it's really weird for us now, but it also would have been weird and opposite for the people at the time that he was speaking to. Now, it's important to know that, I'm sure Phil touched on this as well, that the kingdom of heaven isn't referring just to this place that we go when we die. It's not just this thing that we look forward to, this place, pie in the sky, golden streets, place that we look forward to, but we believe that Jesus is king here and now, and therefore his kingdom is also here and now. So today we're actually going to look at a passage that follows the one that Phil preached on last week, where Jesus talks about how the kingdom of earth is here and now. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be starting at verse 13. I'm just going to pray and then we'll hop right in. God, I just thank you for today for the opportunity we have to be here in this place. God, to see the sun shining through the windows. God, to just be here celebrating and praising your name. God, I pray, as others have prayed today, that as we spend time in your word and hearing your message, I pray that my words won't be mine, but they'll be yours. God, that my thoughts will be your thoughts. God, that you'll really open our ears to hear 
uh, what you have for us today. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of backstory. As I, obviously, you have most of it if you were here last week. The Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes, is right before this passage we're going to be looking at today, where Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. But here in this passage, he makes it clear that the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, because he doesn't actually say the kingdom of heaven at all, but he talks about here on earth. So if you're following along, starting at Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You also are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're going to keep it pretty simple and pretty straightforward today. We're going to talk about salt, and we're going to talk about light, and then we're going to look at this really cool application section in this last verse where we actually get lucky enough that the Bible actually tells us how to do these things. I always love it when that happens, when we can look at the Bible, and it's not, it, it uses these confusing analogies, but then it says, if you don't get it, this is how you do it. So we're going to look at that today. It's going to be pretty straightforward. Let's talk about salt. Because the first few verses say, once again, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So today I really want to touch on three main uses for salt that would have been immediately come to mind of the listeners when Jesus was speaking. So at the time of the people in Israel in the first century, three kind of uses they would have had for salt, and therefore three kind of meanings we can get out of this passage. The first thing is that salt was for cleansing. Salt was for cleansing. So I don't know if any of you have ever been in the mall, and one of those people comes up to you as you're walking, you're doing your shopping, you're on a mission, and one of those people comes up to you and stops you, and they're like, I have the perfect thing for your skin. (laughs) I had someone once when I was in the mall when I was a teenager, and you know, I had the odd little pimple every once. He goes, I can solve your acne. And he comes over and drags me over to his booth and he talks to me all about these dead sea salt mineral creams that are way too expensive. And if you buy one, you just got to buy at least five of them for them to work properly and they cost exponentially more money as you buy more of them. So we all know that salt is good for cleansing. It's good as an exfoliator. It's good for rubbing away the dead skin to allow fresh new skin to grow. Salt is also good in cleansing from infection. I don't know if you've ever had like a canker or a, something in your mouth when a lot of people will say you got to like rinse salt water in your mouth and that'll solve the problem. I think it's disgusting. I can't do it. I, I gargle with it and then I just want to, it's gross. But salt is good for cleaning and cleansing from infection. Salt was also important in cleansing in a lot of the Israelite sacrifices and their rituals. So there was a lot of their sacrifices that Maybe they were offering up a burnt offering, and it required, instead of just putting the meat, that they actually season the meat with salt as part of the cleansing ritual of the sacrifice. So what that means is that to be the salt of the earth is to cleanse. It's to scrub away the dead and the infection and to make pure. Now, salt was also used as a preservative. I'm assuming most of you know this, but back in the first century, they didn't have refrigerators and freezers. It might come as a bit of a shock, but they didn't. And yet they loved to eat meat. 
And unless you have a family of like 50 people, if you go and you decide to slaughter the cow and have steaks for dinner, there's no way that you're going to finish that whole cow in one meal. And that would be a total waste if it just went and rotted. So instead, what they would do is they would use salt and they would cake it and dry the meat and cake it in salt, and that would work as a preservative. The closest thing we would have now is like jerky. And it would keep the meat from going rotten. So it was a way that they could have meat later on without wasting it and without letting it rot. So to be the salt of the earth is to preserve creation, to keep it from rot, and to give new life. Just like those steaks can then be eaten later down the road because they haven't rotted. Another thing that the Israelites would have thought of when they heard of salt was the obvious one, which is flavor. Now, a bit of a guilty confession here. I'm a lover of the Food Network. Anyone? Anyone? I broke my ankle a few years ago when I was sitting at home at my parents' house, and I just got obsessed with all those cooking competition shows. It makes me hungry every time. It's why I have such a huge gut is because of the Food Network. I blame it. I love watching the Food Network. And if you watch any of those competition shows when people are cooking and they have the professionals with the educated palates, they come out, and the most commonly heard complaint or criticism is, your food is too bland, you don't have enough salt. The reason for that being is that salt on its own, no one would just sit and eat salt by itself, but salt interacts with other foods and brings out the best flavor in other foods. There's no, no purpose to, to eating salt by itself, but instead by it interacting with other foods, with other ingredients, it brings out the best flavor. Now in this passage, continuing talking about flavor, it says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, doing a bit of research, what I kind of found out is that for salt to really lose its saltiness, what has to happen is it actually has to be contaminated by something else. So if the salt is mixed with something else, it can actually lose its saltiness with certain maybe minerals or spices or, or dirt or whatever that is. Contaminants will contaminate the salt and actually drain it of its flavor. So the only way for salt to lose its saltiness is for it to be contaminated. So really, to be the salt of the earth is to help bring out the best in others without getting contaminated and losing our flavor. Interacting with others, bringing out the best in other things without being contaminated and losing our flavor. Now, one of the things about salt is salt is really only useful in so much as it interacts with other things, right? Salt is only good for your skin if it actually interacts with your skin. Salt is only good for flavor if it actually interacts with the other ingredients. Salt is only good for preserving. You can't just have a pile of salt and a pile of meat and hope that your meat doesn't rot. It has to interact with that meat. Salt is only good as much as it's involved with interacting with other things. And I think that's an interesting lesson for us here and now because we live in a very self-focused world. We live in a world that says, you need to focus on me first, getting what I need, getting what I want. And the idea of salt is that you're focused on other things. You're focused on other people. You're focused on other entities. You're focused on involving yourself and interacting with other things. Salt is not good by itself. It's good when it interacts with other things. Ultimately, this is a passage of responsibility and our responsibility as the salt of the earth. There's a 20th century scholar and theologian by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and he writes um, about this idea that you'll notice when you read through this passage it doesn't say you need to be the salt of the earth or you need to have the salt of the earth 
or you need to be better at being salty, but it says you are the salt of the earth. Now, here and now, by the call of Jesus on your life, this is your identity. You are salt. This is your role. This is your responsibility. And if we aren't existing in that reality, if we aren't living up to that potential and living up to that responsibility and that call, we are about as useful to the kingdom of heaven as flavorless salt is to seasoning or preserving or cleansing. If we aren't accepting the responsibility we have as the salt of the earth, which we have as our identity because we have accepted the call of Jesus on our life, then we are useless to the kingdom of God. Now, the second part of this passage talks about light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, for us reading this now, in 2016, it can be a little confusing to think of putting a light on a stand. I know when I walk into a room, the lights are on the ceiling, and that's how you light up the room the best. But obviously, in first century Israel, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have lights that were attached to the ceiling. What they usually had in their homes was one or maybe two small oil lamps. And the best way to actually get light around the entire house was to place it on a stand in the middle of the room so that the light can shine out. It was kind of obnoxious. It would be sitting probably in the middle of the room where you'd probably maybe bump into it. But the light is right there in the center, shining light on everything Um, so that you get the most light and the most effectiveness from the light. So to be the light of the world means to shine brightly and to offer visibility to the realities of this world around us. I'll say that again. To be the light of the world means to brightly shine and offer visibility to the realities of the world around us. And what that means is it's about helping others to see Jesus in us and showing others how he fits into their reality. It's helping others to see Jesus in us and helping them see how he fits into their reality. Now, one thing that's interesting about light, I was going to bring up my cell phone for an illustration, but I took it out of my pocket and I forgot, but it's okay. One thing about light is that light does not do much in a room that's full of light. You mean, if I had a flashlight right here and I turned it on, it's not going to do much good because we got sun shining in, we got lights on. Light doesn't do too much and it isn't too noticeable in a room full of light. But instead, light is very noticeable in the dark. Jesus, in his teaching here, talks about a city on a hill. And for the listeners at the time, they would have immediately pictured Jerusalem because it was this massive city built on a big hill that could have been seen for miles and miles in the dark Israeli landscape when it was lit up at night. It couldn't be hidden. It shone as like a beacon in the desert. Light is noticeable when it contrasts with the dark. So to be useful as light, we can't just be with more light. But instead, we actually have to be interacting with the darkness. And folks, I don't know if you've been watching the news at all, but there is a lot of darkness in our world right now. I mean, we can't go a day without hearing of another shooting or another bombing, another death, another disease. There's a lot of darkness in our world, and if we're just interacting with other lights, we have no way of impacting that darkness. To be the light of the world is to be noticeable. People should be able to see something different about us. And I'm not talking about the weird guy who stands on the corner and yells at people in Toronto who says, you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus right now. 
I'm not talking about that kind of different, but I'm talking about difference in the way we live and the way we interact with people. Our light, the fact that we are light, should shine to people as they interact with us. And this is also very countercultural in a world that tells us that we need to blend in. We have a world that tells us this is how you live your life. You go to school, you get a job, you find a spouse, you raise a family, you finish out your career, you retire, and you live out your days. That's what we're called to do, right? That's what the world tells us we need to do. We need to blend in and conform, and yet Jesus is saying, you're light. You need to contrast against the darkness. Once again, I'm going to refer to Bonhoeffer's point that Jesus doesn't say you need to have light or be better at being light. He says you are the light now. So today, if you're here and you're an authentic follower of Jesus, this isn't something you have a choice in doing. This is who you are. This is your identity. You are light. You are the light of the world. Now, hold up. Doesn't Jesus say somewhere else in his word that he is the light of the world? Pretty sure he says that exact phrase in John 8. I know it because I looked it up. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And yet here he says, you are the light of the world. Some might say this is a contradiction. I don't think so. I think this is Jesus' way of saying, do you realize the authority that you've been given? Do you realize the call on your life? Do you realize how important this statement is? Do you realize what it is I'm saying? He's saying, I'm here for a time, but I'm going to be leaving this earth. And yes, I'm going to come back someday. But before that, it is your responsibility to be light on this earth. As followers of Jesus, it is our responsibility to be his light on this earth but until he returns. Now, this can be a little bit daunting. I think sometimes we can think, if we, if we think this way, well, I'm not Jesus. Jesus had miracles. He had really good teaching. He was really good at getting people to follow him. I'm not Jesus. How could I possibly be the light of the world in the way that Jesus is? If you have a Bible with you as well, in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 18 to 21. Yeah. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. This is a church he really cares about, his friends. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Right? What he's saying here is what Paul is saying to his apostles and what, or to his, his friends in the church of Ephesus. And what I think applies to us is, I just wish that you could see the fact that you have the power and the authority that Jesus had. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead, you have access to that as a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here, is that I wish you would see that you have the strength to shine Jesus' light in the world today. So with all of that in mind, I turn to the last verse of our passage back in Matthew 5, which is all about application. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What he's saying is, do good works so that others will see and notice. Do good works, do good things so that others will, will see and notice, and you can point them to Jesus as the reason for what you're doing. It's not about doing good things so people will praise you, but it's about doing good things that you can say, I follow Jesus and he wants me to do these things. And I think this is cool because this works directly against this mentality that it's easy for us to have as longtime believers that, well, I'm already forgiven, so why does it matter if I do this sin? Because God's going to forgive me anyways. Or, salvation isn't earned by works, so what's the point of doing good things? Or, I'm already saved, I'm going to heaven, I know where I'm going, I'm going to glory. What everyone else does is their own business, but I know I'm saved. This works directly against that and says, no, no, no. Because you've chosen to follow Jesus, you are light. And what that means is you need to do these good, things, these good deeds to glorify your Father in heaven. Being a follower of Jesus involves being an active participant in his kingdom here and now, and it's not a passive experience. So what does that look like in our world today? When you take the time to talk to a neighbor or encourage a coworker, or speak to a friend that you know is grieving or, or struggling with a death or an illness, that's being salt and light. That's an opportunity for you to say, I value you enough as a person that I'm going to invest my time in you and invest time in our relationship. You're taking an opportunity to bring out their best and you're shining light into their life. You're shining light on the realities of the darkness in people's life and saying, you know what? I feel like I just really want to tell you that you're doing a great job today. Or, hey, you know what? I heard that this happened in your life, and that sucks, and I just want you to know I'm here for you. That's being salt and light. It's a, it's a chance for you, to, for you to cleanse, for you to preserve, for you to, to shine light into someone else's life and bring out the best in them. To make it a little more personal, I bring in my own story where Natasha and I, we got engaged in March, and it's really weird for a lot of our friends and family members when we tell them we got engaged after dating for six months. That is not a common thing in our world today, outside of the church. It's not normal for people to date for such a short period of time and then get married within a year. That's not normal. And that, what that means is that gives us an opportunity for when people ask us the question, inevitably, of, wow, so soon, like, how did you know? Or why are you doing that? we can point to the reality of how Jesus has been impacting our life. And we can point out and say, well, let me tell you about how we felt led by this person, Jesus, who we have a relationship with, that we were supposed to get married this year. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a little world. The song that we were just singing, the last one, I mean, the words in that song are so relatable to this passage. It's a classic. Jesus bids us shine. Right? He's calling us to be light, like a little candle burning in the night. If you have a candle in the, in the darkness, it's very obvious that it's there. This world is full, in this world of darkness, so does shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. We want to shine, first of all, for him. It's not about us. He sees and knows if our light grows dim. He looks down from heaven to see us shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. Many kinds of darkness in this world are found. Does that sound like our world today or what? Sin and want and sorrow. 
so we must shine. I mean, do we realize the impact of the words that we're singing? You in your small corner, and I'm mine, we each have our own small corner of this massive world where we can be impacting people, where we can be shining light into the reality of the sin and the sorrow and the want. We all have this opportunity to reach people that maybe no one else has an opportunity to reach. I was talking with someone just yesterday, actually, who owns a local business in town, and they had someone apply for a job right before they posted their help wanted sign. And they said, wow, that must be a God thing. The person comes in, and they find out they're actually uh, a former convict, and they have a laundry list of former things that they have done, and they are covered in face tattoos and all the whole like. And they said, you know what? Because I feel so much like this is a God thing, I'm going to give you an opportunity. While it didn't work out, the person didn't show up for work and they ended up getting fired. But at the end of the day, <laughs> we don't know what impact that, the very fact that that person was given an opportunity shines light in their life. Maybe no one else has even given him an opportunity. Maybe he'll remember that down the road. We don't know. It's just our job to follow and obey and to shine light. Kind of whatever your situation is, we all have a calling and thus a duty to live as and to embody and to be salt and light in our community. So I'm going to kind of conclude with this. So if I think there's another song that's going to be happening. If the praise team wants to come up while I'm kind of finishing with this, they can, or they can wait till I'm done and pray. Completely up to you guys. There's a, a band I like, and they have a song actually called Upside Down Kingdom which is really convenient for this message because it lets me steal some lyrics as a quote that I can use as a fancy conclusion. <laughs> they talk about this idea that we can just wait here on this world for death. We're all, we're all headed towards death. That's the reality as, as humans is we will die at some point. We can just wait here and wait for our suffering to end so that we can go to heaven. We can wait for the suffering of the world to end and just sit here and wait for it. It says, but a kingdom is offered Beyond that of golden streets, we can represent now what will one day be complete. We live in a world, we have an opportunity. Guys, I'm stoked for heaven. I can't wait. I can't wait for that glory, but Jesus is here and now, and we have an opportunity to shine that same light and to be a part of that kingdom here on earth. So my question for you is, what does it look like for you to embrace your calling to be salt and light, to live in this upside-down kingdom in your world today? What does that look like for you? What are the opportunities that you have? Who are the people that you know? Who are the people that are connected to you? Who are the people that you don't know that maybe you should know? What is your opportunity and what is your responsibility? How can you best be salt and light in this community? Let's pray. Father God, once again, I just thank you. God, it's such an opportunity to be here. God, it's such an opportunity to be involved in your kingdom. God, to be given the chance, despite our sin, to serve alongside you, to, to be co-heirs of your kingdom, to, to shine your light. God, I thank you for that responsibility. God, we pray for your spirit's strength to engage in that responsibility. God, it's tough. It is tough for us to interact with people. It is tough for us to shine light in a world that's just so dark. But God, you have the strength and you've called us to it. So God, as we leave this place today, I pray that you will show us the reality that we are salt and we are light. 
God, show us what you want from us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.